when it comes to Christians, there's nothing the media loves more than a hypocrite. Someone who says one thing but then gets caught doing something different. Someone, for example, who talks about love but then who uses people or is bitter. Someone who talks about honesty but then gets caught in fraud. Or someone who talks about morality and faithfulness but then has an affair. Christians need to be people who's, who live what they believe, who walk their talk. Uh, or as John, uh, 3 John says, who walk in the truth. We say that Jesus makes a difference in our lives but the reality is for many Christians there's not much difference at all. There are too many Christians like Diotrephes and too few like Gaius. They're the two people who are focused on in this letter. There are too many Christians who love to be first like Diotrephes, interested in building their own little kingdom, who are proud and there are too few Christians who walk in the truth, who are humble like Gaius, who walk the talk, who live a life of integrity that backs up what they believe. I've been in churches with both of them, not this church. Uh, Let me tell you about this Gaius. Uh, My Gaius, I was a student, we were guests in this church for a year. Uh, This lady and her husband had had been at this church for decades and they made us feel instantly at home. They organised a roster of people for us to visit for Sunday lunch uh, and they were regularly on it. They went out of their way to show warmth and hospitality and fellowship. Their interest and love in us as a family just radiated. I had more phone calls from them in that year asking how I was doing than I had in the previous 10 years at my home church. Uh, This couple saw themselves as co-workers with what I was doing. They saw themselves as being involved in my training and uh, they had a a long history of doing the same thing with any student minister who came through. Well, that's my Gaius. What about my Diotrephes? Well, I've met a few with characteristics of this, so this is sort of a compilation of a few of them. Uh, My Diotrephes occupies a position of authority in the church, management committee, session, choir master. Uh, He's got an area of responsibility, his little kingdom. Everything else revolves around that. Perhaps it's looking after equipment or the garden or the choir or the church grounds and no group is authorised to use the hall or the car park or the special plates and cups or the photocopier because it might get ruined. Or maybe it's an area of ministry. No one else is allowed to do anything in this particular area or if they do it has to be exactly the way Diotrephes decides. And anyone who doesn't fit is a troublemaker. And Diotrephes starts to make his opposition known. He calls in favours and talks to the right people and people have to choose a side and pretty soon the troublemaker gets the message, his phone stops ringing, the seats next to him at church are empty, he stands by himself at morning tea. And before long he learns his lesson, he stops volunteering for that ministry and perhaps becomes less frequent at church and maybe stops coming altogether. And Diotrephes breathes a sigh of relief because now church can get back to the way he likes it. 
when I think back to my Gaius and my Diotrephes, I know which one I want to imitate. John says, don't imitate what's evil, but what's good. The central message of the letter, there in verse 11. Stu picked it up, right there in the middle. Imitate what's good, not what's evil. I wonder whether you have known a Diotrephes or a Gaius in your church relationships. Many churches have them. Who do you want to be like? We're going to look at this church, at Gaius, at Diotrephes, so we can learn who to copy and who to avoid. John, the Apostle, is probably looking after a group of churches in an area and somewhere in his travels he's met Gaius. He calls him his child, so it sounds like maybe he's led him to the Lord. And even though Gaius is now a long way away, he's hearing good things about his progress in the faith. Uh, verse 3, John writes, it's given me great, It give, gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I've no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's overjoyed uh, that Gaius is continuing as John left him. His life continues to be moulded by God's word. It's not just talk. It's walk as well. There's a consistency to his testimony. <clears throat> I used to be a school teacher, as some of you know, and I'll occasionally bump into students. Uh, and many of them went to the Christian lunchtime group that I led. And the news that I love to hear the most, the news that brings tears to my eyes, is not who they married, how many kids they've got, what degrees they've attained, what career they're pursuing. I love to hear the news that they're continuing in Jesus Uh, or or even that they're involved in leadership in church. I love to hear that. Uh, That's the best news I can receive. And John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the sort of work it's worth investing your time and energy in. That's the the sort of legacy it's worth leaving behind. That's the sort of goal that when you get to the end of your life and you look back, you can say, yes, I didn't waste my life. Uh, Not that I have a huge superannuation or I have a share market portfolio or an investment portfolio. Look at these children who are walking in the truth. Are you influencing people? to walk in the truth. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school or K-Central, Kids Club or teaching scripture or leading youth group or beach mission. Maybe it's influencing and teaching grandkids or nieces and nephews or godchildren or adopted nieces and nephews. Maybe it's taking an active role in your home group, not just turning up waiting to be fed and led but turning up to encourage and pray, uh, to contribute and serve. John's experience is that when you serve people like that, it gives great joy. The funny thing is about God's upside down kingdom is that's the way it works. When you pour your life into other people, that's when you receive greatest joy. You will be most joyful and fulfilled, not when you satisfy yourself, but when you look to the interests of others and see them walk in the truth.
Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is great joy in serving children that they might walk in the truth. John goes on to describe what that looks like for Gaius, to walk in the truth, the specifics of what he's heard. Uh, Verse 5, hospitality to the brothers. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they're strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men, so that they may, so that we may work together for the truth. We saw what the situation was last week with two John. There'd be Christian teachers who'd move around from town to town. They'd arrive, they'd spend some time there teaching and evangelising and then the church in return would would feed them and uh, provide shelter and pay them as well. Now that was a costly thing to do. It was inconvenient. It was tempting to look around for somebody else to do that. You know, I did it last time, why should I do it again? But that wasn't Gaius. The brothers had told John about the warm hospitality he showed them. These were the genuine Christian teachers, not the the false ones we saw about last week in 2 John. And John commends Gaius because he's looked after them, even though he's never met them. He's faithful, verse 5. He's loving, verse 6. But not only while they're in town, John is confident that when they head off on their next destination that Gaius will stock up their saddlebags, that they'll have a full pantry, they'll have a packed lunch as they go. It'll flow onto their next journey as well. And John says, Gaius, generosity like that is worthy of God. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Worthy of the God who is so generous to us who gives us every spiritual blessing, who provides all that we need. When you show hospitality like that, you are worthy of a God like that. So to look after Christian workers generously is worthy of God. I've spoken to a missionary who received care care packages from the church at home and they contained clothes for his family, but they were old clothes, so horrible they were only useful for rags. The assumption seemed to be that, well, the missionaries will be grateful for them. I wouldn't be seen dead in them, but I'll get some wear out of them. That's not care that's worthy of God, is it? There's the joke about the old church deacon who prays for the minister. God, blessed are the poor and humble, bless our minister, You keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. That's not generosity that's worthy of God. God is a generous God. He richly blesses us. He's not mean-spirited or selfish or resentful. We should treat people the same. That's what it means to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. How are you generous towards people who need it, people in ministry? Does it make a difference to your budget? 
Do you notice what you give to ministry? Are you doing without something for the sake of Christian ministry? Is it generous if you don't even notice? Mike and Katie Taylor have a shortfall in their giving. Uh, Perhaps you can help. Or maybe you can sponsor a compassion child, $48 a month. Uh, Some of us are going to visit our compassion children in Thailand in about six weeks. It'll be great. It's not too late if you want to join us. Uh, Look at the reasons why John says you should support work like this, verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Gospel workers are not building their own little kingdom. They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the sake of the name. They're doing it for the Lord Jesus. And that means when we support them, we're not doing them a personal favour. We're giving support for the name. We're doing it in obedience to the name of Jesus. We shouldn't expect a thank you every cheque that we send. They're not a charity case when we give to the tailors or the chose. They're not begging us for bread. They're presenting us with an opportunity to be co-workers with them. That's a privilege. It's an opportunity for us to give generously. As we support others who work for the truth, we are co-workers with them. Uh, We work together. You are a gospel co-worker as you work in your normal job and as you support full-time gospel workers. There there are not two levels of Christian service. Uh, We are co-workers in the gospel when we work where God has put us, uh, when we support those who are working in other areas. We are workers together. Is that you? Are you working for the sake of the name where God has put you? Content, working hard, giving generously, giving generously to other people, giving generously with your gifts and your time and your energy where you're serving. Don't forget prayer. You are a co-worker as you pray. Uh, That's a big emphasis of our mission week that's coming up. Our missionaries love your prayers. Uh, One of the missionaries we support writes, we covet your prayers. That gets your attention, doesn't it? We covet your prayers. We want them. We need them. You are a co-worker as you commit to intelligently and consciously and regularly praying for them. That was Gaius, the gospel co-worker. It's interesting, you know, we're not told he was a preacher, a leader, an elder. Probably wasn't a Bible study leader. He was hospitable. Uh, He was faithful where God had put him. He was using the gifts God had given him in in the area that God had placed him. He was a co-worker in the truth. And that can be you. 
Well, that's Gaius. Next we get to Theotrophes. Same church, but the opposite end. Verse 9 tells us John has already written him a letter. He's been making trouble for a while, it seems. But Theotrophes takes no notice and the letter went straight in the bin. So what does John say about Theotrophes? Well, there's one little phrase that's descriptive. So descriptive. Verse 9 says, He loves to be first. He loves to be first. Just think about that. Maybe he loved to be the centre of attention. Maybe he loved to be the decision maker. Or he loved to be the most gifted or the most noticed or the most approved of. Or maybe he loved to build his empire at the expense of God's kingdom. Or maybe he loved to lift himself up and to put others down. Whatever it was, he loved to be first. Look at how that attitude showed itself out in his relationships with others. Verse 9. The octopus who loved to be first will have nothing to do with us. So if I'll come, so if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. It's a sad portrait of a sad little man. Five actions that flow from the desire to be first. Firstly, John, uh, Gaius was one of John's children but Diotrephes wants nothing to do with John. He's refusing to accept the apostolic authority. There are some Christians like that who refuse to accept anyone in leadership authority over them in churches. Their view is Christianity is a team sport, it should be a democracy, they should have a big say in what's going on, no one else is authorised to be in authority over them. But God hasn't designed church that way. Church is not a democracy. He's placed some in authority to lead, sometimes to discipline. Yes, we are to do it as servants. Just as Jesus did, but there is still authority there. And Diotrephes refused to accept that. Why? Because he loved to be first. Uh, Secondly, Gaius walked in the truth, but Diotrephes gossips maliciously, spreading lies and rumours about John and and the brothers, dragging people down, discrediting them. It's not walking in the truth. Examine your motivation for sharing prayer points about people. Why do you share specific details? Do they need to be shared? Can you just ask for people to pray without the details? Don't ask details. If someone says, oh, did you hear about such and such? You can say, no. That's all you have to say. Uh, Thirdly, Gaius showed hospitality but Diotrephes refused to accept these teachers. Can you imagine the message to outsiders? Well, there's some visiting Christian evangelists. They're preaching about love and forgiveness and community and yet the church is supposed to be backing them up but I don't understand it. uh, They're having to stay at a hotel. What's going on? 
What sort of love is that? The brothers were preaching about love. Uh, Gaius was showing love, but Diotrephes was doing the opposite. Uh, Fourthly, Gaius influenced others, but Diotrephes influenced people not to demonstrate hospitality. He applied pressure to make sure no one would welcome the brothers. Verse 10, dragging people down to his level, spreading his mean-spiritedness like a contagious disease. And then fifthly, when they don't agree with him, he goes one step further, he puts them out of the church. So it sounds like he's someone who has some sort of authority, but instead of using it to serve, he furthers his own agenda. He bolsters his own support base. And Christian leadership should never look like that. It's one of the great things about having group leadership, to have having a, a group of elders, that it's more difficult for one person to rule the roost like that, that there, there's a group. Uh, now, it can happen, but... You know, uh, our, our principle is that we're basically sinful people and we need checks and balances to stop people having, sinful people having that sort of authority and uh, group elders is a good way to do that. John finishes his two portraits, gentle, generous, Gaius, dangerous, diabolical, Diotrephes. And as he goes on to give some more advice to Gaius, it's also advice to us because it tells us which example we're to follow, what test we're to use as we look at the two people in front of us, as we make up our mind about people. Verse 11 he says, Dear friend, do not imitate what's evil but what's good. Anyone who does what's good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Imitate good. Mimic it. Copy it. Watch carefully and then do the same. Anyone who does good comes from God. That's the test of a true teacher. If they're doing good, if they walk their talk, if they say, do what I do, not simply do what I say, because the false teacher won't do that. The ones you don't want to follow are not consistent. The ones you don't want to follow will have a secret side. They won't be open. They won't be willing to you seeing what their lives are like. They're not walking their talk. John says they haven't seen God. They don't know him. They haven't experienced the reality of the light of God. John calls us to walk our talk, to follow the example of good people like Gaius who walk in the truth. Are you a Gaius or are you a Diotrephes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in the truth, to imitate what's good rather than what is evil. Help us to be co-workers as we support and build up those who are working in the Gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.